Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If you need a Bible, please put a hand up and we're going to pass out Bibles to you right now. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you, so please feel free to keep it. Take it home. One here in the middle. Um, Week five out of six, big problems, bigger God. Last week, talking to you guys about uh, Elijah and the Baal prophets, I was tempted maybe we should have named this series, you know, Sunday School for Grownups, because we're we're doing some of these big stories, but um, if we slow down and look at it, sure enough, there are details that get skipped over when you are six years old. So that happens. That happens. But again, and, and I'm going to re- repeat myself sometimes because this might be your first week or, or maybe you missed a week or two or just repeat repetition helps us to remember. This is a series that was born out of the heart of the elders, if I understood them correctly, for one main thing, to build up the faith of the saints. If your faith is perfect, if you trust God the first time he speaks, he doesn't have to repeat himself, he doesn't have to clarify himself, you just trust him immediately. Again, you're lying. So I mean, that would be wonderful. That is wonderful when those moments happen where we do find ourselves able to just trust God. But most of the time, it's a struggle. Most of the time, it's a struggle. And so we go back into the scripture to hear our Father's voice and go, okay, who is he? What is he doing in the universe? And even just to remind ourselves of stories we've already, like if you grew up in church, there's no way you didn't hear that Daniel got thrown into a den of lions. There's just no way. The only way you've not heard that is if you didn't grow up in church. If you grew up in church, you've heard it. And yet, this unbelievable story for building up a faith, I, my faith still isn't perfect, so maybe I need to go back to some of these stories. Okay, you guys are holier than me. I need repetition. I need to go back to these stories to be reminded of the bigness of God, to be reminded of the goodness of God. So today, specifically, oops, didn't press the button, sorry. Daniel in the lion's den, part five of six. Go ahead in the hardback that was handed out, page 731. Everybody else, Daniel chapter six. Daniel chapter six. Page 731 in the hardback. I'm going to read this story together so we all know what's going on. And then talk about three conclusions that I would like for us to draw out of this text. Not that they're unique to this text, it's just that they are illustrated well by it. This is some 600 years or so before Jesus. Israel has been taken captivity by Babylon. And what's not in the historical note here, in any historical note, is because it's not God's agenda, so he didn't mention it. In between chapter 5 and chapter 6, a major war occurs that's just not important enough for God to mention it. It's hilarious, which is awesome. When we get into Daniel this summer, I'll, I'll extrapolate more, but... Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's a really big deal, the head of Babylon, wow, I'm awesome, and he's given to pride. And in the blank space, 
from the end of verse 31 into the start of chapter six, in that blank space, Babylon is taken over by the Persians and a new leader is installed and they move on with what? God's story. Daniel's still there. God's still there. God's word is still there. Anyway, I'm preaching. Okay, chapter six, verse one. Darius the Mede decided to invade the kingdom, sorry, to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make, should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. You guys see any problems with that so far? Is that just me? Does that feel a little bit heavy-handed? By the way, do groups like to show up saying, hey, everybody talked about it, and we all agreed. Does that sound like a second-grade playground to anyone besides me? We all agree. Daniel is the second most powerful person in the empire, and he obviously did not agree to this. Therefore, he has not been consulted. They're lying. The vice president was not talked to. Didn't talk to the vice president, but we're saying we all talked about it. We all agree. And then talk about playing to a leader's pride. We have this new law called the king is awesome law. The king's really awesome. We're not going to pray to anybody except to you. For 30 days, you get to kind of play God as a representative deity for 30 days. Huh? <laughs> Let, let's be honest. Um, there are not a lot of egos that could turn that one down, especially if you're overseeing an empire already. Um, but yikes. And this is not some like, oh, we're going to slap them on the wrist, not we're going to raise their taxes, not we're going to throw them in the jail for a few nights to make them think about No, we're going to kill them. Oh, a quick death like a guillotine? No, we were thinking hungry beasts. So if you're sitting here, if you've never heard this story before, and you think that was three or four layers of crazy, you're right. Okay, verse eight. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he immediately went to Washington with signs and protested and shouted and screamed and lit everybody up on Twitter. Did I... Did I read that right? Was that? Fact checkers? Fact checkers. Okay. He went home. Guys, this is the biggest verse. And knelt down. What are those next two words? 
as usual. Anybody here wish that you had a healthy prayer life before the crisis came? Everybody prays well when the crisis comes. Everybody prays desperately. He didn't have to change his rhythm at all. In his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. This is in response, by the way, 2 Chronicles uh, 7. Solomon asks God, even when things go sideways, God, would you hear our prayers when we pray toward your holy temple and toward your holy city? Would you hear the prayers of your people? And sure enough, the people have been carried off into exile, and what does Daniel do? God said yes to Solomon's request. God says, I will hear my people's prayers. If they do get carried off into exile because of their rebellion, I will hear their prayers when they pray toward my holy temple. So he is not opening the window so that everybody around can see how holy he is. just want to be really clear. He's not an arrogant jerk. He's not external, like everybody look at my religiosity. He's praying toward Jerusalem in direct response to what God said he would listen to. That make sense? He's following exactly what God said. Uh, which window? He had prayed, still in the middle of verse 10. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Anybody else convicted by that? Hey, my life's on the line. I'm gonna thank the Lord. (laughs) It doesn't say prayers of desperation. Maybe that happened. I don't know, it just doesn't say. Thanking God. Wow. Verse 11, then the officials went together to Daniel's house, because that's what you do, and found him praying and asking for God's help. Okay, so he was asking for help. That's good. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man, Daniel, does that sound, that just sound awful? They didn't say Daniel. Like, they're all, they all know each other. They work together. That man. <laughs> One of the captives from Judah. I think Pastor Dennis just preached on this two weeks ago. Who gets to give you your identity? One of those captives. Not the second most powerful man in the empire who you implicitly trust and everything he touches turns to gold. No, no, no. That captive is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of it. So does that give us a hint into the king's thinking? Can you maybe say yes to a law, get swept up in the moment? Wow, that kind of strokes my ego. That sounds nice. And say yes to something, not realizing maybe some of the horrible implications that could come about. His pride isn't struck in this moment. He's not actually so deeply offended that Daniel's still caring about his religion, he's just going, oh no. And he's immediately thinking, how can I save Daniel? He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. 
In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king, whew, the king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. When have you heard a story like this one? The king is executing you. He's sending you to a horrible death, and he's making it really clear. I don't want this to happen to you, and I really, really hope your God is real. Verse 17. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal. I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. And the seals of his nobles, so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his place and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions. Verse 21, Daniel answered. Do dead men answer? Right? They lean into the den of lions, call out, was your God able to rescue you? And there's a response. Long live the king. Does this sound like a man who's rebellious against authority? Does this sound like a man who's bitter? My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they could not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight. Oh, so wait, wait, so who's the judge? I have been found innocent in his sight. And I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He gave them a severe talking to. Is that what the text says? I'll, I'll try again. He sent them directly to detention, and they were going to have to miss out on afternoon sports. No? He had them thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. What? This one's not in the sermon, so I want to say it right now. Um, we can, from a place of a dark, rebellious heart that hates God, we can see God's power where he's trying to show off and show that he is coming for us and that he loves us and he's offering us mercy. We can see his power, be amazed at his power, and maybe even be transformed by his power. I, I don't feel like there's a necessarily a strong case. I, I'm not going to say like whether Darius had a salvation moment, but he might have. 
Don't be deceived into thinking, even if you do have a genuine experience with the risen Christ and you are transformed. Do not stop and think, well, I became a Christian now, so everything the world has taught me for however many years just goes away. Nope. This is why the New Testament in particular describes this, the fancy word of sanctification, root word sanctus, holy, being made holy, being made more like Jesus. That a Christian, after Jesus gives us a new heart, we are forever, the rest of our lives, we are in this journey being more and more like Jesus and that process is not finished until he takes us to glory. If I am saved by the Lord Jesus at age 45, that means the world has taught me for 45 years that I can trust my heart. And that is not gonna just turn on a dime because God changed my heart. I'm gonna be exposed to truth, but I am going to be learning how to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Okay, this is gonna be long, this is gonna be hard. I've been told for years what marriage is and is not. I've been told for years what money is and is not. I've been told what the purpose of life is and is not. Darius just had an unbelievably emotional, exciting, happy experience with the living God. He's about to verbalize it, and he is still capable of operating just like any other pagan ruler would. In the ancient world, sorry ladies, in the ancient world, a wife was nothing more than the glory of her husband, period. She is property, and children are really property, The women and children being brutally murdered here in this verse is representative of, for the wife, sexism, not seeing her as a co-heir equal to her husband. And for sure, all of this is a blatant uh, disregard for Scripture that Darius does not know. God had expressly said in Levitical law, sons may not die for the sins of their fathers. That's forbidden and vice versa. It was very, very common for really perverse, disgusting stuff to happen to family members and we say the gods are satisfied and and Yahweh gave us the law for Moses and said, no, you will not. Darius has no idea. Darius is operating and thinking just like he always has. So even though he's amazed at the God of the Bible, he has no idea what the commands of the God of the Bible are. Does that make sense? Can you be amazed and not know all that Jesus has taught? Say yes. I can be amazed at what I just saw. I was in the hospital. I'm a doctor. I've never seen something like that. These Christians came and they prayed and they healed this lady. I am amazed. And that doesn't mean I'm going to go home and stop cheating on my wife. If that's where I've been. Okay, you can be amazed and not necessarily transform. Like, and even if you do come to Christ in that moment, there is a journey. There is work that has to be done. So, what was just recorded? I want to be really clear. It was pure evil. You want to make an argument about the men being thrown to their deaths? You can make an argument for that. They they specifically tried to murder an innocent man, and inside their laws, maybe that's allowed. But their wives and children. If that makes you disgusted, good. It's disgusting. And it in no way is allowed in God's law. This is a foreign pagan nation of Persia. They have no idea what God has said, and they don't care. The lions leapt on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. So so don't, 
Don't go Discovery Channel on this story. Well, the, the lions just got fed by the zookeepers earlier that day, so they weren't very hungry. Nope, nope, God's showing you they were hungry. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. I feel like I've heard that before. If you've been in church, that sounds a lot like Revelation 4. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. Hey, Christians, are you in a situation, maybe at work, maybe with your family, maybe on your street? Are you in a situation where you are the only Christian your friend might know? It terrifies me to think of somebody praying to Jesus and calling him the God of Greg. That terrifies me because then I'm immediately going through every word that I've ever spoken, every way that I've ever treated that person and I'm going, have I represented you well? That's exactly how Darius thinks. He only knows one representative of Yahweh. To him, it's not the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is the God of Daniel because Daniel's the only Yahweh follower I know. For he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Holy Spirit, would you please teach us the Bible this morning? Holy Spirit, would you smash the parts of our heart that are hard, that are stiff, that are rebellious, that are stubborn? And would you make our hearts soft, still, anxious to hear from you, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd? God, please give us insight by your Holy Spirit into the ways that something 2,600 years ago imminently affects Christian behavior today. God, for those of us that are still kicking the tires of the Christian faith, would you help us to see something in the text that's uniquely for us, that's a blessing for us? And we ask this, God, because we confess there's a long history of human beings looking into your word and not getting any closer to you because they only interacted with your words and not with the risen Christ. So we ask you, risen Christ, to interact with us today. We want more of you. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray and God's people said. Note takers, here's your first one. God is bigger than the schemes of evil people. They're scheming in verse 4, and by verse 22, we're finding out Daniel survived the night. God is bigger than the schemes of evil people. Here are a couple of stories we could tell to reiterate this. Moses, born during what? A genocide. Pharaoh, intimidated by the growth of of Israel, intimidated at how many slaves he has, 
which slaves are considered assets, but there are just so many of them. They're going, man, we're going to face a slave revolt. And issues a declaration to kill all of the Hebrew baby boys under the age of two. Just a horrifying thing. And how did Moses survive? Through a kind of a prophetic miracle. He's put in the water, pulled out of the water by the princess of Egypt, named Moses, meaning drawn out. That's the prophetic utterance. He's going to draw out his people 80 years later because God knows what he's doing. And, and this little Hebrew boy survives the first Holocaust because God is bigger than the schemes of evil people. Some 1,600 years later, God comes to earth as a baby and Herod, from the exact same spirit, gets a similar idea. He hears from the Magi that there is a newborn king of the Jews and that wasn't good news to him. He's a megalomaniac. We know from sources outside of scripture that he had a couple of his adult sons murdered because he was such a power monger. He also says to his soldiers, go into Bethlehem, all the boys, two and younger, kill them. Apparently had a pretty good amount of authority because Caesar didn't even hold him accountable for it or maybe Caesar just didn't care. Did Jesus die at a year and a half old? Trivia question time. Did Jesus die at 18 months old? Okay. So God got him out of there. There are evil people doing evil things, and God is bigger. He's bigger. Here's some next steps I want to encourage you toward. Refuse to judge God for the sinful actions of people. Decide in advance, I will not judge this good God. This one who everybody else avoids the leper and with compassion in his eyes, he walks up to the leper and touches him. Says, what do you want God to do for you? You want to be healed? You're healed. Somebody touched me. Lord, we're in a crowd. Everybody touched you. Turns around, finds a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. She's not allowed to touch people, let alone a holy man. But she's resting on an old rabbinic tradition that when Messiah comes, even the tassels of his robes will heal, robes will heal people. And she reached out in a crowd and touched his robe. Her action is a statement that Messiah is here. And guess what? Operating within what might have been kind of a silly tradition that's not in the Bible, God chooses to operate within what she already believed. And he heals her. He sees the unseen, the marginalized, the poor, the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner. This is a kingdom of the down and outs because he uses the strong and wise things. They're made foolish by the weak and powerless and foolish things of this world over and over again. And it's a good thing too. It's a good thing that he does that too because then all the glory is his. When you see evil people do evil things, you're gonna have the chance, just like all of us do, to frantically search around in your heart for somebody to blame. I'm gonna blame 
the person who killed that, that person, I'm gonna blame their dad for raising them wrong. I'm gonna blame the societal circumstances. I'm gonna blame the fact that unemployment was high. I'm gonna blame racism because they weren't the same color as each other. I'm gonna blame classism because one earned more money than the other person. By the way, assessing the situation is a great thing to do for civic leaders. Civic leaders should be assessing the situation and seeing if there's some kind of a broken, that's all well and good. But God told us that we murder each other because we're rebels against him. That's the ultimate answer. I hate God and I want to be on his throne and I murder you because you in some way threatened me sitting on my throne. You had something I wanted or you disrespected me in my almightiness. Human beings do terrible things to each other all day, every day, and you and I get to decide who are we gonna get mad at? Who are we going to judge? Who are we going to blame? The perverse thing that's down beneath all of it is that we're playing God just in the behavior. I'm acting like I am on my throne, and, it is, and the whole world's waiting on all-wise Greg to decide how did we come to this terrible situation? The whole world's waiting. What is Greg going to say? Now imagine 7.2 billion narcissists that all think the whole world's waiting on them to decide what could possibly go wrong when in fact there's only one judge. And you know what he did with evil? He shouldered it and went up Via Dolorosa and died for it. The one who had the right to cast the first stone said, we're not throwing stones today. Make up your mind now, before yet another horrible event hits the evening news, before another hurtful thing happens to you, make up your mind now what you think of Jesus, because his character doesn't change based on your circumstances. Amen. Do you know this is actually just true of most human beings? Like you get in a fight with your spouse and you go to your brain because your heart is storming. Your, your heart is mad about that conflict and your brain goes, Emily and I have been married for 14 years. She loves me. I love her. I know her character. Therefore, this has to be some kind of a misunderstanding. I love her. She loves me. I know she loves Christ. We love Jesus. We're Jesus people. Therefore, Maybe this was a bad moment. Maybe there was a word spoken that wasn't loving or considerate. Maybe we were low on resources, said something we shouldn't have said. Irrespective of how I'm storming emotionally in the moment, I go back to what I know. My wife is a good, godly woman. So whatever the flesh is trying to say in that moment, oh, she's Hitler personified. <laughs> Hitler came back as a female. I just knew it was gonna happen. Like, the flesh says really stupid things in the middle of conflict, right? So if even with people we can decide, I know this person's character and this is gonna help me when my emotions are going haywire, I can appeal to my mind and go, I know what's true about this person. What about the one who's never ever sinned against you? What about the one who's never ever done you wrong and the only one who's ever died to wash away your sin and reconcile you to the Father? What about his character? You and I can decide right now, God, when I don't understand and when it hurts and when friends aren't necessarily supporting me the way I would hope, 
I will not judge you and I'm deciding now while things are okay. I'm making that decision now because I want to be like Job. Even Job apologized for a few things that he said, but the book says about him that in all of that raging and storming, he didn't sin. Is that amazing? God, I want right now to have the character of Job and the faith of Job in case I ever have the circumstances of Job. I want to honor you in the pain. I don't want to accuse you of evil. So another thing I want to encourage you toward. Oops. I left out a slide. I apologize. Okay, grab your pens, your note takers. I I forgot to make a slide for it. Here's another next step. Obey God when it costs you. Obey God when it costs you. Not only did we see Daniel not turn on God when the law came about, he stayed obedient when the price got really high. The commentators on these verses were really, really pessimistic. (laughs) Some of them writing 150 years ago. One guy, I won't even say his name because I don't want you to... One, one pastor from 150 years ago said, our, our country has uh, religious freedom, but if our country passed a law that you couldn't pray anymore or you'd be killed, he says, I don't know about your church, but the prayer meeting in our church would stay about the same size. <laughs> and his whole point was, people don't want to pray, but those who do show up are so committed, they're not going to go anywhere. He says, it's a really small group, but I don't see the number changing if the stakes went really high. And that had me thinking. That had me thinking. No. We don't have prayer meetings at ARCF because Pastor Greg likes the rope-a-dope. He'd rather have long seasons of prayer right built into your Bible studies and small groups so you were at prayer meeting and you didn't know it. Don't tell anyone. So we don't have to have a prayer meeting because we're always praying. Refuse to judge God for the sinful actions of people. Obey God when it costs you. Okay? Christian, it's not really worship until it costs you. It's not worship until it costs me. David knew that. I will not give to my Lord that which cost me nothing. That was David. Okay? Obey God when it costs you. Second, God is bigger than man's laws. Does that make you feel better or worse? God is bigger than man's laws. I guess it has to do with your relationship with the law at the moment. So, Verses seven, eight, and nine, I've got to be brief for the sake of time. I'm going to stop apologizing because we'll get into this in detail over the summer. But they literally had a culture where their laws, they had a culture of non-repentance. Medes and the Persians, we pass laws that even the king can't revoke. We don't repent, we don't apologize. Not to be political, but that was the biggest religious problem when President Trump was, was our president. Calling himself a Christian and, st- and stuttering and, and going, have I ever done anything I need to apologize for? That was a huge red flag. And I've told you guys before, I'm pretty politically conservative, so don't email me, oh, you're bashing President Trump. No, I'm saying that if I were his pastor, I would talk with him. Christians apologize for stuff. We apologize to Jesus 50 times a day. That's called being a Christian, okay? Laws from the top saying we pass them and we never print a retraction. 
We never apologize. We never change our mind. That's scary. That's demonic. And that leaves no room for God to speak and correct us. Okay? It just occurred to me, I need to find one of our preachers who leans more left because I can put him up here to criticize politicians on the left. Yeah, anyway. (laughs) All right. You can't be mad at me. I voted for him. Put somebody else up there. You can't be mad at me. I voted for him. Anyway. God is bigger than man's laws. They make these, this horrible law. And, and does, is God bound by this stupid law that they made? Is Yahweh stopped or slowed down in any way? Yeah, it doesn't throw him off. Okay, so by the time Jesus is walking on earth, 600 years after all this nonsense, there's a religious group called the Pharisees that love their hand-washing ritual. And they point out to Jesus, as Jesus and his followers are walking through a field, they find some heads of wheat because they're hungry and they roll them between their hands and they're eating these heads of wheat. And the Pharisees criticized them saying, Jesus, aren't you, Rabbi, aren't you going to teach your followers to do the hand-washing ritual? And we don't have the time today, but he basically just said, hey, all of the rules you've spent your whole life memorizing, I am bigger than all of it because I'm the source of all of it. When you say, I am God, and you say so in a Jewish culture, and you say, I complete the law, every jot and tittle, none of it will be washed away, I complete it in my person, in my holiness, I am fulfilling the law for you. Wow, gargantuan claims. So that's an example. This was a man-made law. Scripture did not demand the way that the Pharisees went about it. They added on to God's law. Yes, God said, wash your hands, you know, when you touch something that was unclean. But they took it to the nth degree and spent a lot of energy patting themselves on the back for how holy they were. And Jesus said, chill out. That's in the Greek. Look it up. He said, chill out. (laughs) Next step I would encourage you toward, carefully weigh man's laws against Scripture before taking action. Do you know how easy it would have been for the disciples to feel judged by the Pharisees and they jump in, oh my gosh, yeah, I did. I need to jump in and, and wash my hands real quick. If they'd have been too quick, they wouldn't have heard their rabbi speak. Their rabbi had something cataclysmic to say. So if you love Jesus Christ and man says something, that's fine, that's all well and good, and we want to be submissive to government as much as we possibly can. But how do we know the limits of our submissiveness? Pastor Greg is giving you a hint. He's holding it up really high. There's a hint. How do we know the limits of our submissiveness? Okay? What God says to me just matters a lot. All the state can do is throw me into jail. So? That's pretty small compared to what God can do. Pretty small indeed. Daniel heard about a law and what? Didn't miss a beat because he knew what his God had already said. Like, Daniel's cool. He's like, I grew up going to Sunday school. This isn't a problem. I'm going to keep praying. My God is big. Carefully weigh man's laws against Scripture before taking action, brothers and sisters. Third, God is bigger than cultural dominance. God is bigger than cultural dominance. Let me take that out of grown-up English and just put it uh, junior high level. But mom, everybody's doing it. Right? That does not change from junior high to when you're a grown-up. That doesn't change a bit. 
Everybody's doing it is still very much a part of the spirit of the age. It's popular. Everybody thinks this way. Everybody's saying it. Everybody's doing it. There was a time where everybody was united in their rebellion against God, and God really worried, and he sweated, and he called together Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and they had a little conference, and they weren't totally sure what to do, and they freaked out. (laughs) Do you guys remember that Bible story where God worried about what to do next? I don't remember that Bible story either. I think he just said, oh, you guys speak one language. That's cute. Now you don't. They were in direct opposition to what he had said. He's like, you guys bear my image, not your own, and I want you to spread across the earth the cultural mandate. Go make more people. Go make more human beings. Allow culture to evolve and thrive. Allow architecture to be different. Allow languages, perhaps, to evolve and be different. Allow foods to be different. Allow holidays to be different. Fill the earth where, so wherever I look, I can see my image staring back at me. And instead they said, We're going to build a monument to our greatness. We're going to replace God. We're going to be like God. We're going to stay in one place. It's the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing one thing. And did God crumble? No. No, he he pushed things forward and he gave the people lots of different languages in a moment, just gave them languages. Huh. Huh so that they could not communicate, could not cooperate, and they just abandoned the project and left. Because everybody's doing it, doesn't bother God, doesn't intimidate God, and does not influence God in any way. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. Hey God, we're all going to hell. God says, I know, I'm doing something about it. I'm working on it. Christian, When you feel picked on, stay the course. When you feel like the culture more and more is just at war with what you've been taught out of Scripture, you've gone back to the Scripture to make sure, are we sure we believe this? You've gone back, you've gone back, you've prayed. You've wetted the Scripture with tears because it started to cost you to believe certain things. Cost you more when your children don't believe it and they think they call you a hater for just agreeing with God. The reason we're doing Daniel this summer is because as culture gets darker and darker, we need to know how how do the people of God behave in Babylon? This is not Judah under Daniel. I'm sorry, under David. Judah under David, from the very top, they're saying Yahweh is God, and he's writing Bible, and he's writing Psalms about the goodness of God. You get to worship Yahweh, and everybody in power above you says, yeah, we worship Yahweh. Daniel has a different calling, doesn't he? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, none of their leaders know God. Do you know the feeling? The 21st century church in the West, Italy, Germany, Belgium, New Zealand, Japan, Canada, the United States, we need to be looking at books like Daniel. Not to, as preppers, oh no, here's how to hunker down. No, no, no. Jeremiah said, hey, you're going to be there a while. Plant gardens and pray for the good of the city. For in so much as they are blessed, you are blessed. It's a message filled with hope. It's a message filled with hope. I'm going to pray for us. Then we've got one announcement. Jesus, please allow us to have faith that grows because we see that you're in charge. 
God, we confess uh, it is so easy to think that all the chaos of the world is just, that's the big stuff, that's the crazy stuff. Um, God, if this, uh, oh, just we need your help. We confess that our eyes are all too often on our circumstances and not on our Savior. And we ask your forgiveness for that. God, would you grow our faith? We wanna trust you, God, so that we'll obey you. We wanna trust you so that we'll have greater joy. We wanna trust you so that we can model trust to our kids and grandkids. We wanna trust you so that our neighbor, classmate, and coworker goes, whoa, what is going on in that person's heart? That's crazy. We wanna trust you, God, because you deserve it. You have only ever been faithful. And even in the darkest things that have ever happened to the saints, you're so clear that those have flown out of, come out of human rebellion and that you've mercifully brought saints who have suffered and given their lives for the gospel. You brought them into your arms in glory after they suffered. And you've told us that you have wiped away every tear. So God, we trust you because whatever's going on with human suffering, you are infinite in your love and you are infinite in your wisdom and we are not. So we confess, God, that whatever is going on, you're handling it better than we would have. Help us to trust. God, we're so arrogant. We want to be on your throne and we need your help. We need your help. Make us a people defined by bold and humble prayer. In the great name of Jesus Christ, we ask for this. God's people said, amen. One quick reminder, after worship next week, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna have to find a way to end the service on time next week. Um, we're gonna have a 15-minute passing period next week from 10.15 to 10.30 where you can go over to the Pringle building, pick up your kids or grandkids, nieces or nephews, neighborhood kids that you brought, and bring them over. Because at 10.30 in here, we're gonna have our annual ministry fair. So there will be many delicious brunch foods in here. Bring your appetite. And we're gonna have a fun crossword puzzle like last year where I'm going to force you to get the clues you need to go around and talk to different ministry leaders and you're gonna get to hear from them what are the different ways that they are trying to glorify God in their ministry. And so we're gonna have a fun time to hang out and be together and delicious foods. That's all at 10.30 next week. Again, bring your appetite. So... Uh, that's it. I love you guys. Have a great week.